hope in this. Yes, if you want to financially give to that, you can write on there Thanksgiving or benevolence or something like that. But uh, this is something we're just we just are going to do. We like having uh, fun with this this week, and so uh, if you want to if you want to be a part of it, just let us know. Call the office or something like that. Now this this uh, series, I'm going to start this series this morning. It's going to be quite a few weeks. It's going to come up, and I'm going to be talking about heroes. Uh, this is the Justice League just came out. You guys know Justice League, and so. I thought, well, this is, this is going to fit nicely with the direction I'm trying to go. And I want to, just as a side note here, not anything to do with the message, but just as a side note, I think it's important to note um, the, the coolest superhero of all time, in my opinion. I get some flack for this. I get some pushback from small-minded people. But I, I think the coolest superhero of all time is Aquaman. I've always liked Aquaman. I've always thought Aquaman was the coolest, and people are like, well, you're just in the water. Yeah, yeah. It's because they're closed-minded. But um, this is the new Aquaman over there, the second from the right there. Tell me that's not just a whole lot of cool going on with a trident and everything. Sometimes when I look in the mirror, that's what I see <laughs> right there. My second favorite superhero is Wonder Woman. I want to say some stuff, but I don't, I don't, I, I used to date one one back in the 70s, Linda Carter, you guys know, Linda, I, she didn't know me, but I, I dated her uh, back in those days, she, how many of you guys dated one one back in the day, you know you did, okay, chickens, all right, so, so I, I was thinking about this superhero, I was thinking about all this kind of stuff, and so I did some research on this, and I, I want to do this series on heroes, and I want us to really look at um, so some of the ideas of what heroes are and, and kind of the bigger picture and how God looks at this because there really is such a thing. I think there's, see, see the, the idea of superhero comes from a lot of things, but it's really, there's, a, there's a, a powerful mindset behind this that makes this something that is, that is uh, so popular, that makes the movies popular and these kind of things. There's a reason why this, this um, um, took hold in our country. So th- the very first times that we could see, going back into the history uh, of what this is, um, the, and there's also been a resurgence. If you notice, there's been a resurgence of superhero movies, all this kind of stuff. I heard a guy, uh, a commentator, a couple years ago talk about the reason that there's a resurgence of superheroes in movies and things is because Hollywood has run out of material. While I do believe that there's some truth to that, um, it's because of their limited thinking. Hollywood definitely has some limitedness when it comes to thinking. But, but uh, I don't think that's the reason. I think the same reasons that superheroes became something when they first did, is the same reason that we're seeing a resurgence in superheroes today in society. And the, the, the very first time in history that the term superhero was mentioned. Now, the idea of hero has been around for a long, long time, even going back into Greek mythology and stuff like that. This idea has been around for a very long time. But the first time the word superhero was ever mentioned, the best that we can tell in some kind of uh, written context is in 1917. And we see that it was kind of on the hills of, uh, the, the hills of something. Um, in 1903, there was a work written called the Scarlet Pimpernel that was a, a mentality of a hero-heroine kind of thing going on and what that means in, in society and that kind of stuff. Now, the first time that we see, and this is usually surprising to people, if you, if you were to ask yourself, what is the very first superhero or that kind of uh, character in history that was, that was ever in like print or something like that, 
if you ask this question at um, parties and things, you, you never get the right answer. Everybody always says things like Superman and stuff like that. It's not true. The very first superhero or, or comic book hero that we ever saw put into print was in 1919. It was Zorro. There was there were some reasons for some of this. 1938 is when Superman came around. He was he was kind of a howdy come lately in that context. Although there was a lot to follow after that, but um, Su- Superman's kind of been the the, the focus point of, of superhero mentality for a long time. But there was there was a there was a, a reason that this stuff came around. There was a reason that it became popular. It wasn't just because somebody started deciding to write this stuff. And by the way, kids, teenagers, you can process this. The very first generation that really was about comic books, superheroes, and all that stuff was my great-grandfather's generation. My grandfather, who's 95, 96, he was the boy growing up looking at comic books. We, we think it's all a modern thing, but these, this, is a, this has been around for a while. There's a reason, though, why it took off and why it became something that was important for us. I, these kind of things come around. Any of this, any kind of mentality like this comes around when there's a vacuum or a void somewhere. And this is what we were seeing in our, in our country. We were seeing a, um, uh, something missing. Something, there was two major events, which a lot of um, auxiliary events, but two major events that all happened within a couple decades um, called World War I and the Great Depression. And, and that mentality going into World War I, uh, the, the depression mentality uh, coming out of World War I, all this stuff that was happening, we, we see this, this void in our country, and people are needing something. They're needing something to believe in. They're needing a hero. And, and even though Tina Turner saying in the 80s, we don't need another hero, she was wrong. Uh, we always need a hero. Every generation needs a hero. We need somebody that we can look at, and, and we do this on individual levels, we do this on corporate levels, we do this on national levels, that we, that we get behind people and we get behind heroes and things like this. Uh, th- th- this is why that uh, certain uh, key leaders within our country over the history of our country were put into hero kind of status, uh, presidents that, that came around at the right time and saying and doing the right things at the right time. These guys weren't necessarily better or worse than some other presidents, but they were, they were uh, timely. And what they were saying was what the country needed at the right time. Um, in fact, one of the ideas uh, coming out of the Depression, the, the chicken in every pot mentality that was espoused from president all the way through all kinds of layers, that actually hurt our country quite a bit. That mentality was very, very destructive. We're still paying the, 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 we're still paying the bills on that today. It was very destructive, but at the time, it was important to hear it. Our country needed to hear that, that the government could make sure everybody got a chicken in the pot, and, uh, and, it, and it has hurt us. The idea that there is um, moments in time when, we're, when there's voids and vacuums, something fills it. That's where comic books came around, is we needed heroes. We needed people that were bigger than us, the, the, the mundaneness and the evilness. That, 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 that World War I really hurt our country in a lot of ways because we didn't expect we could, we, that our world could be that evil, that our world could be that destructive, that our world could be that violent. And then World War I happens, and, and, it, and it devastates us. The, de- the Depression takes many, many people most of our country into to horrible poverty. And we're trying to figure out how to get out of this. And, and our government's trying to help and people are trying to help and all these different things. And then these guys actually start making these comic books. 
and working 15 hours a day in the factories and everything. Somebody comes home, they got this comic book, and like, that's cool. I can, I, can, I can separate myself long enough to be a part of that. And that's basically what books and movies and things still do today, is it gives us the ability to separate and disconnect from our pressures and our issues and our stuff and jump into a, a different place and a different... That's why one of the, the most consistent things, even though people have tried over years to have movies where the bad guy wins, that doesn't really work long term. Because people don't... The bad guy wins all the time in society. Why do we want to go to a movie and be reminded of that? We want the good guy to win, and we want him to have a trident, and we want him to live in the water. So a little video here I want to show you about. This is a great little statement by a guy named Eric Metaxas that he wrote the book, um, the biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the best. I've read a lot of stuff on Bonhoeffer, and, and uh, Eric's book is the, the best there is. And he also wrote um, a, a little collection of books Seven, uh, seven heroes and male heroes in the Bible. Seven female heroes in the Bible. That's not what they're called. That's my paraphrase of it. Seven men, godly men, or something. Seven godly women. But that's basically what he's saying: is these seven men and women stood out differently than everybody else. And so, so this is uh, his thoughts on uh, heroes. One thing that I have noticed is that in the last, let's say, forty years, really, uh, since I've been uh, growing up, we've kind of moved away from heroes and role models in society. We've kind of bought into this cultural narrative that, you know, we've got to question authority, that everybody who looks so wonderful isn't so wonderful behind the scenes. Of course, there's some truth to that, but if you take it too far, it becomes a lie, right? Uh, we used to teach that George Washington was a great hero in schools. We used to teach about heroes, and it doesn't mean that those heroes were perfect. But somehow, mainly in the 60s, we, we bought into this idea of the anti-hero. Everybody's kind of messed up. Uh, as I just said, don't trust authority. That's really problematic. We need heroes. Uh, and we need to reverse that trend. And we need to praise what is good. It doesn't mean someone is perfect. Nobody's perfect outside of God. Uh, nobody's perfect except Jesus. But it doesn't mean that there aren't lives worthy of emulation. Uh, in my books, I write about some of these heroes. I say some of the things that they did wrong. But at the same time, we're, we're to celebrate what they did right. It's very important for us to have role models, to have heroes, to read books about people that are worth emulating uh, because that is how God communicates himself to us. And that trend uh, has been going on for a number of years, but we really need to reverse that trend. Major shift in the 1960s. That uh, um, obviously affected a lot of things, and we see this, and I, I talk about this sometimes. But one of the things that it affected was, if you go back to comic books, and you begin to look at comic books, there was a major transition. If you go from the 50s to the 70s, there was a major, major transition where before there was the good guy, and then there was the bad guy, and the bad guy was horribly bad, and the good guy was really good. And we started seeing a shift where the good guy was just as messed up as the bad guy, but he was just doing... Uh, good things. And the idea that somebody could really be a true role model or a true hero began to be diminished and taken away, and the, and the shift basically became um, the, the power or the might over somebody else that you could just beat them through power and through might. It wasn't like a moral um, imperative that you beat them. There was a major shift with this, and a lot of the good guys started becoming quite evil under the, 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 the top layer kind of thing. 
Well, I think this was some reflecting on society. Again, these kind of things are, are voids and vacuums that get filled. We're seeing at that same time a lot of corruption that is being um, displayed and, and talked about from the president, Washington, all this kind of stuff. There was all that kind of stuff before. It just, nobody talked about it. In fact, do some, do some history reading about um, our presidents and leaders and things like that. The, the presidents that had all these um, um, affairs and all that kind of stuff, JFK is considered one of the better presidents of all time, and he, he was uh, having an affair with Marilyn Monroe and many, many other women all the time. And there's even some that would say that he contributed to, at the very least, contributed to her death. Well, there's a lot of corruption, a lot of that stuff. This is the time frame that that became Nixon. All this stuff became being known. Uh, we're starting to see, and then at the exact, well, within about a decade of those time frames, we started seeing where uh, pastors and priests, we started seeing corruption in those ranks. That throughout the Catholic Church, this, this, this massive um, opening of eyes that there was a lot of very bad behavior going on through a lot of things. And so a lot of places in society where... Um, the, these these people were our heroes at some particular level. I read a biography on um, Babe Ruth, and Babe Ruth was the man. He was a salt in a swing. He was the hero and all this kind of stuff. But the biography shows that he was a horrible, horrible person. That as a person, he was a very bad person. He was a, a drunk, a, a drug addict, a womanizer. He he would he would come to to baseball games high or drunk a lot of times, playing baseball out there drunk, but he could hit home runs, and so we didn't talk about it, but, but not his generation, but the generation following, we began to talk about this stuff, so there began to be a twist that says, there's no such thing as a truly good person, and I catch myself being very cynical about this kind of stuff in today's society, I don't trust politicians, I don't trust car dealers, I don't trust, you know, there's lawyers, I just don't trust those people, you know, but but can there be Christians in those categories? Yes, there can be Christian car dealers and Christian politicians and Christian. So, so you just got to You can't be so cynical. You got to be open-minded and and really know that God can do some things, and there can be some heroes in a lot of areas that we may not see. Okay. Now, with that, I want to. I want to. For as Eric was saying on the video there became a shift in how we define heroes. So here's the thing for me. This whole series is going to be about heroes, but here's the, the, the point is, how do you actually define that? And here's probably even as big of a point, who defines that? Who defines what a hero is? Now, we're obviously going to look at some scripture, but I want to show you some other stuff that, that um, has bothered me a lot of different ways over the years. When I was a teenager, I was 15 years old. I got a job at 15. I started making some money, and I went and got a subscription to Time Magazine because I was a nerd. And so I, um, I had that subscription until about the second year I was in the Navy. And I finally canceled that subscription because I realized that Time Magazine is very liberal. Now, I didn't grow up in a conservative kind of household. My parents weren't really overtly conservative. We didn't talk about politics. We didn't really, I never really heard any of that kind of stuff. I didn't, I found out years later my parents voted for Jimmy Carter. Um, at the time, he seemed like a swell guy. And then you realize probably one of the worst presidents ever. But thanks, Mom, Dad. But either way, uh, I, we didn't talk politics. We didn't do that kind of stuff. We didn't, it wasn't really our, our thing. But I began to really process this stuff and realize that there is such, there is such a thing. And I was a Christian um, as a kid, but I was realizing there was such a thing as right and there was such a thing as wrong. 
and that there was right ways that were healthy for our society and wrong ways that were healthy for our society. And here's what I believe today. I mean that most people kind of get that stuff intuitively, but we choose to believe things. So what defines a hero? In 1939 and 1942, Time magazine chose Joseph Stalin as the person of the year. Okay? Now, what they were doing is they were looking, oh, you know, he's trying to feed his people. He's trying this, this thing called communism that's all going to work together. And Except communism kicked God out and was in favor of murdering hundreds of thousands of people that didn't agree the same way. But Time Magazine, they closed their eyes to all of that and said, hey, he's probably a really good guy because this whole communism thing. So they put him on the cover. In, in 2011, Vladimir Putin became Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Hitler was on the cover of Time Magazine at one particular time. Castro was on the cover of Time Magazine at one particular time. You know, some of the better people in our world and history. In 2012... Kim Jong-un was on the cover of Time Magazine as Person of the Year. There's a problem with this thinking. There's a, there's a breakdown somewhere with this thinking. There, there is such a thing as people of the year. There are, some th there are some people in our country that are doing some pretty amazing things. And, and we don't see those people Focused on. Society has a very anti-God focus and a very anti-truth, morality, and, and, and ultimate good mentality. It's, it's ingrained. I'll give you one that has been bothering me like crazy. You knew who Clarence Thomas is? Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Amazing guy. Regardless of the stupidity that the media said about that man, that man is an amazing guy. I, I have two of his biographies. Godly man. Good man. They just um, opened up, two years ago, opened up the um, Museum of Black History in Washington, D.C., and he is not in it. Do you understand the egregiousness of what I just said? One of the most amazing, powerful black men in our country ever, and he's not in the Black History Museum. Why? Because he doesn't fit the narrative. He doesn't fit the narrative of what a truly good hero looks like in our society today. There's some problems with this. Let's come up to recent times. GQ magazine just recently put Colin, Colin Kaepernick on the cover as a man of the year. And in the top right corner, it actually says the new American heroes. I would suggest you don't go read that. It was very discouraging on a lot of different levels of what GQ magazine thinks is an outstanding person and a hero in our country today. Just because somebody else defines what this looks like doesn't mean you have to buy into it and you believe it. And, and here's something else, parents. I think it's your responsibility to educate the teenagers and kids of what a truly good person is, what a truly moral person is, and what a hero in our, in our society is today. One of, one of the things that has bothered me for a handful of years now on a very core level is we had another person that knelt in pro football games, and he was ultimately ran out of football for it, Tim Tebow. Now, this man today 
has probably the largest anti-abortion movement in the country today. He does something all across, now he does all kinds of things with missions, all kinds of stuff, but he also has this special needs prom that he does in all kinds of locations around the country throughout the year, and he personally goes and invites somebody as his date to this prom. He gets no media play for it. You have to look for information to find this. You're not seeing this on CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, NBC, none of those goofy fake news places. You're not seeing one of, a, one of the better men in our country today and an athlete that is saying, I want to do something amazing, godly, moral, and what is best. Vice President Pence got picked on by our media because he says he will not go to dinner without his, with a woman without his wife. Look at all the sexual scandals that are going on right now. Who's the smart one? Vice President Pence. But that's not okay. How dare you say something like that? I've said this before. Our pastors, we have this rule around here. I don't, I don't even, I don't let a woman come into my office and close the door that my wife or my uh, admin or somebody's not in there. That doesn't happen. That's the rule. And, I, and this is a rule for all of our pastors. You're not alone with a member of the opposite sex. You're not. Because why? There's standards. There's certain moral codes that we say this is something that's important to us. There's, there's rights and wrongs. That, why couldn't Tim Tebow be on the cover of GQ? He looks fine in a suit. How about this one? How about J.J. Watts? Gathered up and got $30 million, $37 million donated for the victims in the Houston floods. Why isn't he on the cover of GQ? Wouldn't that make sense? I saw something the other day talking about, well, Colin Kaepernick has donated lots of money, $100,000 to all these different things. Go look up where he donated it to. Go, I won't even say anymore. You go look up what he donated that money to. There's a record. These are some things. So Glamour Magazine. Glamour Magazine decides Woman of the Year. It's usually a woman. This year they chose a group of women. It was the women that, that um, established and, and uh, uh, created formed the uh, women's movement, the women's march that happened in Washington uh, last year. So I began, I looked up, there was five of these women, so I looked up each one, I'm looked, and I'm not going to go on it, 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 would, it's, it would be discouraging, disgusting, and all the who these women really are. One of the women, one of them, her, her name is Linda Sassur. She is a devout Muslim, and she believes that Sharia law should be instituted in the United States. She, these are her words. I'm not putting words in her mouth. She believes that it is okay for a woman to be owned by a man, which, by the way, is what Sharia law is. It's okay for a woman to be owned by a man, and it is okay. This is, look this up. If you think I'm lying about this, look it up. She believes that it is okay for young girls to be sexually mutilated according to Sharia law and Muslim tradition so that they will be faithful to their husbands. What kind of woman thinks that's okay? I get, I get some weird, freak, pervert men that think that's okay, but a woman? Something's horribly wrong with this. Woman of the year, according to Glamour magazine. Now, why am I saying all this? Because there actually is such a thing as a hero, and there's actually a mindset that's a healthy mindset that says this is something 
that I want to emulate. This is a direction I want to go. This is somebody that I can follow. This is somebody that I can get behind. In Luke chapter 17, I want to, I'm going to unpack a few different people over this series with this, but to look at, because it's Thanksgiving, I was thinking about Thanksgiving and what it means to be thankful. We're going to do some of that stuff this week, I'm sure. You're going to be sitting around a table uh, at Thanksgiving, and you go around the table, and what are you thankful for, right? Everybody, you, anybody going to do that? You know, you know you're going to do that with family, friends, those kind of things, and you hate it. It's very uncomfortable. Nobody really appreciates it, except like grandma, and so in fact, when I was a kid, I remember I was about 11 or 12 years old, and we were doing this about 30 people at Thanksgiving, and all the family, cousins, aunts, uncles, all that kind of stuff, and we were going around the table, and you had to say what you're thankful for, and it got to me, and I said, I am thankful that I only have to see these people once a year. <laughs> oh, wasn't a good Thanksgiving for me. <clears throat> Verse 11, Luke chapter 17, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten leopards stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The reason they're standing at a distance is because this is the law. If you had leprosy, leprosy is just this, uh, this, this um, your skin is dying, your, your, your body is dying from the outside in, and your skin stinks, and it falls apart, and you have digits that fall off. In fact, in movies, if you've ever seen um, people with leprosy, they'll have bandages wrapped all around. And by the way, leprosy still exists today. I've been in countries where I've seen lepers. It's not real common um, because we figured some things out medically, but it still exists. And they would have all their, their hands and arms and stuff wrapped up in bandages because they're, uh, sometimes they're, like, their finger would just fall off. Walk along in a big chunk of skin or your finger would literally just fall off onto the ground. And so the law was you couldn't be near other people. You had to stand at a distance, and if somebody came towards you, now you could hang out with other lepers, but you couldn't hang out with other people. And if somebody came walking towards you, you, you would shout out, I'm unclean, 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 so that nobody would get near you. You couldn't have uh, family relationships unless it was in the leper colonies. You couldn't uh, go see mom. You couldn't have a girlfriend, boyfriend, any of that kind of stuff. You couldn't interact on those kind of levels. You, you were unclean. You had to stay outside the city walls. So this is why it says they're standing at a distance, and they shout out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them, and he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, that's a, that's a faith statement right there. Regardless of how strong we believe it is or whether, I mean, I, I believe it's kind of a desperation. They didn't have any other choice. I mean, they could have another choice. They could just stand there. And I've seen people do that where you can tell God is trying to do something in their life, and they choose to just stand there, not even just take a step. Jesus says, just go show yourself. All you have to do is take a step and you're healed. He didn't tell him that. He just said, go show yourself to the priest. All they had to do was take one little basic faith step, what I would call primal faith, which is, which is a core out of necessity. And so he took a step. Instantly, they were healed. They were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. The reason it throws that in there is because there's a lot of prejudice going on here. The Samaritans don't like the Jews, and the Jews don't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans don't like the Jews because the Jews don't like them. The Jews don't like the Samaritans because they consider them lesser people. Okay? A lot of prejudice, a lot of bigotry going on. But it's interesting that this is the guy out of the other, of all 10 of them, and we don't know what their nationalities are. We don't know. I, I will say this. Once you get in a leper colony, Samaritan, Jewish, whatever, it doesn't matter. 
It just doesn't matter. Which, by the way, that works in almost every concept of society. When you get put into situations where you're, 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 um, you're pressured in, there's tragedy, there's those kind of things, prejudices usually go right out the door. It's when we have the, the um, freedom and the arrogance and ignorance to be prejudiced that, is, that it actually happens. That's why I, even, I saw this when I was in the military. You get into the military and you get into pressure situations in the military and it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your background. It doesn't matter anything. Nothing, none of that stuff matters. Because why? You don't have the freedom, the ignorance, and the arrogance. You don't have the, the, the liberty to have stupidity at that time. You just don't. You have to work at that stuff. The Samaritan, the reason Jesus takes the time, or the, the, the writer takes the time to say this guy was a Samaritan is because it's interesting that whatever those other guys were, Jews, not Jews, Samaritans, whatever, we don't know what they were, but we do know that the one that came back to think Jesus was a Samaritan, thinking a guy that there was prejudice against, not from Jesus, but potentially just societal prejudice. And he comes back, and he thanks Jesus. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? I like the way that Jesus does that. Jesus does this stuff all the time. He called a woman a dog one time. I like how Jesus kind of, not that I'm in favor of don't call women dogs, but I'm saying Jesus sometimes he pushes back against societal thinking and gets in people's minds and makes them process what is happening at that moment. The, The woman Jesus calls a dog or refers in the same context of dogness um, he heals her, heals her family. This guy, he's calling him a foreigner, but he's trying to show us a bigger picture here. Because obviously Jesus doesn't have a problem with this guy being a Samaritan or a foreigner. That's not who Jesus is. He's trying to think of something bigger or get us to think of something bigger here. He says, the Samaritan comes back. Jesus said to this man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. So here's the question that I have on this. A couple layers, the same question, but, but to go down some layers into your thinking, your heart, your mind, your spirit. First is, why does this guy thank Jesus? Not necessarily why do the others don't, okay? And we could, we could spend all day talking about that too. But, but to narrow it down to just why does this one guy come back and thank Jesus? And, and then obviously, the ultimate direction that we're going with this thought process is, what about you? Why would you thank Jesus? What, somewhere in your mind, your spirit, whatever, why? The question is why? Now, what we would normally do is we would take this and we begin to break down the details. Well, God healed him, and so he's, he's thankful because God healed him. Yes, that's, a, that's a, it's a, an act that happened, and as he's going to see, to see the priest, he realizes his skin was falling apart, and, and the, the, the bandages, all the stuff wrapped around, and all of a sudden he recognizes, my skin is good, I don't stink. By the way, leprosy is a very smelly thing going on. Rotten, like, like your toenail, but really bad kind of thing. And so all of a sudden he knows he's not, I don't know why I brought you into that with me, but, but all of a sudden his skin is clean. All of a sudden things are good. He's recognizing this immediately and he stops. So the first thing is, is there's just a, a physicalness that happens along with the, with the, uh, with, with his skin and with his body, and he recognizes there's been something that's happened, so he is thankful for that. 
That's kind of the first layer, the first level of this. But what about the bigger picture that what Jesus has done has not just healed him physically, but given him life back? He's, get, he's reinstituted his life, his existence. This isn't just about his physicalness, his skin. This is about much more that he now can go back to mom. He may not have seen mom in ages. Now he can go back to mom, wrap his arms around her. He can go back to, to a girlfriend. I don't know what's, what his, she's probably already remarried, but I mean, that's, sorry, but that's reality. But we don't know what he's going back to, but here's what we know is now Jesus has given him life back. That's why he goes and shows himself to the priest, is because now the priest declares him clean and he can go back into society. He can actually interact with people. He doesn't have to stand at the, at the gates of the city shouting unclean. So there's another layer. How, how many other layers could we go down when it comes to psyche, when it comes to spirituality, emotions, all this kind of stuff? So the question I have for you is, not, not necessarily... In a, in a very like a specific detail kind of thing, like Jesus did this, and I'm thankful, although that's a good place to start. But in a general sense, in your spirit, is there a thankfulness that you have toward the Lord? Is there something in your existence right now? And it can be a detail. It can be a moment. But is there something in your existence right now that would cause you to go and fall down at the feet of Jesus and begin to thank him? As, as I was talking earlier during worship, we, we see these things where we're called to worship God, we're called to bless the Lord. But what about our life and our existence would, would actually make that happen? I talk about this mostly on Wednesday nights, not as much on the weekend. But I'll ask every, every few months, I'll ask the question in a, in a handful of different ways. What, what in your world right now, what about you? Or, or another way to say it is, when is the last time that you just got on your face before God and you just began to be broken before God and pray and weep and worship Him to the point where it's not just a mental uh, direction, but there's a spiritual connection, that there is an emotional um, outpouring, a spiritual outpouring, a, a, this, this fullness of who you are poured out before God. When is the last time that that's happened in your life? And, and statistically, usually, there's a handful of people in the room it's never happened. And for a, co- a great amount of of us, there, it's, it's been a long, long time. If it has happened at all, it's been a, a very long time. Somewhere there has to be that closeness and that intimacy. There has to be this, this gratefulness, this thankfulness to the Lord just because of who He is. That it makes us want to f- fall down on our, on our face before Him. Get at the foot of, of, of Jesus. Get the foot of the cross in a mental picture kind of thing. And just thank the Lord and worship Him and pour out our life to Him. We get caught up so much in the routine of life and the stuff and even the, the needs that we have. And that, it's not bad. I, I, I don't ever want to cross a line here where you think that, that I'm saying we shouldn't petition the Lord with our needs. He tells us that over and over and over. The Lord has no problem with you petitioning him constantly. And sometimes we miss up that scripture that says, you know, vain, retip, re, re, repetitive prayers don't have that. And we think if we ask Jesus more than once, that's what that is. No. He says, continue asking, seeking, knocking. I talked about that. Um, last week. So, so the mentality is, is the Lord wants us to ask him and he wants us to ask him a lot. But I, but I also know that he wants us to thank him too. He doesn't just want to be asked. He doesn't have a problem with you asking and you can ask anything and you can, and you can ask the same thing over and over. Specifically, if you've got something, you find out you got cancer, it doesn't make sense to ask him once and move on. Ask him until you no longer have cancer. That's how that works. But he also wants to just relate with us, walk with us. He wants us to worship him with, with no request. 
He wants us to pray for others. That's a big deal. There's a lot of stuff going on with this that he wants to, to there, he needs, there, he wants a connection involved. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, this is, this lays out for me, I think, a really good, Paul's actually very succinct here, much more succinct than he normally is. He normally adds a bunch of stuff in and gives details and stuff like that. And, but he's very succinct. He just walks down the line. And to me, this is kind of the, this is what a hero looks like. This is, this is a, not an all-encompassing, but a really good starting place for a biblical definition of a hero. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. And that's me. So there's no confusion. That's me. Um, I'm one of the people. There, we have other pastors in our church. We have great leaders. We have great board members, department leaders. We have all kinds of stuff. There's spiritual leaders in your life outside of Church of Briargate. I get all that. But, but this is a thing that, that we've missed. When I first got in ministry years ago, this was 1990, became a youth pastor, there was this, there was this thing that would happen. Every now and then I could go in somewhere and I would get, I would get like lunch free because I was a minister. I know you're thinking, what? This really happened. There was a golf course nearby where I was a youth pastor that all ministers could golf for free. That's when I started golfing. I had never golfed before, but it was free. So I went and destroyed their golf course. Um, there was things like that. Why? Because there was a mentality that, that was on the, we were on the tail end of it. Back in the day, ministers were respected. Now, I get that some of the reason ministers are not respected like they used to be is because they haven't been respectable. I get that. I, I'm not denying that. There's been a lot of stupidity over there. There's a lot of games that be played, uh, immorality, embezzlements, all kinds of stuff. I get that. But at some particular level, this comes back to defining what a hero is. Sometimes we need to define what a minister is. I mean, in your heart, I'm not saying me. I'm not saying somebody that stands in front of the church. I'm saying really in your heart, what does a minister really do? What does a spiritual leader do? What does a board member do? We're going to be voting in board members in the spring for our church here. What does that mean? We have, we have scriptural qualifications for this or bylaw qualifications. Why? Because there is standards for certain things. And, and I'm of the school of this, that you, you've got ministers that, that fail. I think there needs to be accountability to that. We're taking that too lightly in society today. I think there is. He says, they work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. And this is something that I want to say about our pastors around here. We have very good pastors around here. We, we, every one of our pastors, they work hard. They care for you. They care for your kids. They care for your teenagers. They're just good, they're just good people. In 27 years of ministry, this is the best team from our pastors to our board to our department heads. This is the best team I've ever worked with, hands down, hands down. So respect that. You want them to respect you, respect that. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. That's not, he's not talking about ministers anymore. He's talking about everybody. Live peacefully with each other. This is something that is missing in our society today. Just live at peace with each other. It seems like every single day, I, I, I'm actually, I've been working on this. I've been praying about this, that I could think differently, feel differently, and process differently when I'm, uh, caught in traffic every day because I get frustrated. I get frustrated because nobody out there knows how to drive. I don't know where they got their... Okay, so I've been praying about this. Um, and so I turn on my classical music and I 
get my headrest in the car, and I just, I just enjoy. It's like, a, it's like a spa treatment on the way down Powers at 7 o'clock in the morning. God help us all. So, um, but but the, here's the reason is because people just get so angry, and it's been bothering me because I feel like I'm one of these people. Just get angry. Everybody's angry all the time. Everybody's angry at work. Everybody's angry on the news. Everybody's angry in football. Everybody's angry at life. Everybody's angry with moms and dads and angry with kids and, and angry with spouses. And when, when can we just live peacefully with each other? This is a choice. The reason he's saying it like this is because it is a choice. You choose whether you live peacefully. You choose whether you're at angst with other people. You ever met somebody that's just negative all the time? Just negative, negative, negative? Most of you in here go, yeah, I know that person. If you don't know who that person is, you know the rule. It's probably you. Just don't be negative all the time. Why? When you have a conversation with somebody, does it have to be negative? Does it have to be attacking somebody? Does it have to be pulling down? Does it have to be? Live peacefully. Live peacefully. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. See, this is a mindset that's different in our society. It says, warn those who are lazy. Not help those who are lazy. Not enable those who are lazy. Not encourage those that are lazy. That's the mindset nowadays. Encourage them. They're, they're, they're trying. No, they're not trying. That, that's the definition of lazy. They're not trying. Warn them. Warn them about what? If you're lazy, you're never going to do anything. That's what lazy is. You're never going to amount to anything. You're going to be a bum all your life. That's the kind of things we need to say to lazy people. You say, that's not nice. And there's part of the problem with our country. A lazy person's choosing to be lazy. Kick them in the rear and get them going. Get off the couch and do something with your life. Now, the next sentence is encouragement. He says, encourage those that are timid. Timid people need encouragement. Lazy people don't. Timid people do. There's reasons people are timid, insecure, not sure what's going on, not, not brave to take that next step. Help them. Encourage them. Grab their hand and walk with them. Do whatever you can. But that's, th this is some of the things. When you really think in your life about the people that you define as heroes in your life, people that you want to emulate, th there's not a perfection mentality. We understand that. But, but somewhere along the line, when we think about heroes, we think about somebody that encouraged us and helped us along the way. That they saw something in us that said, you can do this, you can be great, you can accomplish And they grabbed our hand and they took us somewhere in life. That's what, that's what heroes do. Parents, that's what you're supposed to do. Kick your lazy kids in the rear, encourage the timid ones. Maybe the same person, you've got to figure out which day it is. Take tender care of those who are weak. There are weak people. You know them. There are weak people in our lives and society. Care for those people. Wrap your arms around them. Don't, don't hurt them more. Wrap your arms around them because they're truly weak and they need that. But make sure that you really understand the difference between weak and lazy. Okay? Make sure you understand the difference between weak and rebellious. Grab weak people and carry them. Be patient with everyone. How about that sentence? Be patient with everyone. This is the way some, most of my days are. 
I, I have an intentional desire to be patient with at least one. I don't know who that one's going to be, but somebody in my day, I'm going to be patient with them. But everybody else, no. No one else. Isn't that more how our brain works? Isn't that more how we practically apply our life? That Going back to the traffic, I, I cannot understand how these people have driver's license. But here's the reality of this. Do you realize they're thinking the exact same thing about me? I'm supposed to be patient with everybody, not some people. Everybody, I'm supposed to be patient with my spouse. I'm supposed to be patient with my kids. I almost said some more stuff there, but I won't. Supposed to be patient with my kids? Because why? This is who Jesus is, and we're trying to emulate him. He's patient with us. He's full of grace with us. He loves us, and he takes the time and the energy with us. And continues on. He says, see that no one pays back evil for evil. You've hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. That's today's mentality. You know it's true. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. The reason it has a statement like that is because it's a choice. He can tell you always be joyful because you actually choose that. You don't have to be negative. You don't have to be discouraged and down all the time. Choose to be joyful. Never stop praying. As I mentioned earlier, pray for who? Pray for everybody, everything. If you think, well, I, don't, I, can, I, you know, I pray for five minutes and I run out of things to pray for. Really? Just print out a list of, of leaders, government, Congress, Senate. Just start there if you run out of things. Print out a list of this church. Pray for me. You could pray all day long. Not just for me. I, I'm not that. I guess you could. I would appreciate it, but not because I messed up or anything. But, but just pray. Pray for people. Pray for your next-door neighbors. You may not even know their name. Pray for them. Always be praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Now, this is the tricky one. I've seen this one so messed up and misused over the years. How can you be thankful for everything? It doesn't say that. It says be thankful in everything, not for everything. I, I, I've heard people say that. I literally have heard people say this. Now, this was years ago in a, in a kind of a hyper-faith church I was involved with. You hit your hand, uh, thumb with a hammer, you're supposed to say, thank you, Lord. That's stupid. There's nothing about that that makes sense. In the middle of difficulties, in the middle of tragedies, in the middle of things that are going horrible in your life, you can still look and realize that God transcends all of it and you can be thankful for him. You can realize in the middle of all the pressures of life and the bills and everything else that Jesus died on the cross for you and you can be thankful for that. That he is trying to redeem you back to himself and he wants a relationship with you. You can be thankful for that. Sometimes it is impossible to be thankful for the stuff because the stuff is not cool. But God is always amazing. God is always transcendent and he's always going to be the miracle worker. That's where you got to look out of the, the cloud that surrounds you at the moment and say, but I still serve a God that is transcendent, and I'm still, we're going to make it. We're going to make it through this physical thing. We're going to make it through this relational thing. We're going to make it through this uh, financial thing. We're going to make it. Why? Because God never changes, and if I'll just follow him, 
I'm going to get through this. That's thankful in all circumstances, not for them, but in them. Be thankful because God is bigger. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. This is something our church believes strongly we, in, in prophecies, and we believe in, in messages in tongues, interpretation, words of knowledge, and stuff like that. We believe in that stuff. We don't see it near enough, in my opinion. I want to see it more. Some of you, I believe the Holy Spirit works on, on a regular basis, even within our services, to do this, and, it, and it's scary. I get that, but we need this. Don't, don't stifle. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you're just sitting at work and you can tell the Holy Spirit's telling you something, to talk to somebody or pray or do something. Don't stifle that. Let the Holy Spirit move through your life. I'll give you an easy one. During Thanksgiving this year, you're going to have some friends and family or somebody over to the house. Some of those people are not going to be saved. We all have a cousin it, right? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you that are younger have no clue, but cousin it? How many of you know cousin it is? You got, we, all, we all have a cousin it. Big, long hair, can't see their face, smell bad, whatever. We got our cousin, yeah, they need Jesus. I mean, they could have long hair and smell bad and have Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. Probably not. But either way, they, so here's the thing. You're going to have an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus during this Thanksgiving season. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't stifle him. Pay attention. Listen in your mind. Listen in your heart. Don't be a goober about it. And step out there and really try to tell somebody about Jesus. You can get away with it at Thanksgiving at times you can't any other time. While they're going around the table, I'm thankful, I'm thankful. You can look across the table and say, I'm thankful that Jesus died for you, cousin it. What do you think about it? Just leave it there. Okay? All right. So, don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that's said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. Very common sense stuff. This is a hero. Five basic things. Be about honor, respect, and peace. Are we setting this example? Are we teaching our children this? Honor, respect, and peace. Number two, be a person of grace. Jesus has grace for you. You should have grace for others. That's how simple that is. He gives you grace. You should give others grace. Number three, be thankful. This is God's will for you. That's what I just read. It is God's will for you to be thankful. It is not God's will for you to not be thankful. It is God's will for you. Number four, let the Holy Spirit be bigger than us. He wants to be. Let him be. He wants to be way bigger. And then the last one is just stay away from evil. Heroes, heroes, stay away from evil. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> so I want us to pray about this. Kind of in this, I mean, you can, you can broaden this out however you want, but, but to give a little bit of limited scope here, I want you to think to yourself, is there anywhere, as I'm talking about this process, and there's anywhere in your mind, your heart, you're realizing, I kind of got tunnel vision lately, and I haven't been very thankful. I haven't been the, that person of peace that I'm supposed to be, or I haven't tried to live peaceful with others, or maybe I've, I'm struggling with being this person of grace. But specifically in the thankful mentality, I think being thankful to God really opens up a lot of spiritual avenues to a lot of other things. Having a spirit attitude of thankfulness really does stuff. It gets, it gets um, wheels turning. I don't know how to say that. But, but the Holy Spirit, it's, it frees the Holy Spirit up to do stuff. So that's what I'd like to pray about. Bow your heads. God, we, we come to you knowing that you really are God. And that God, you, have a, you do have a right and wrong. There is a good and a bad. 
Lord Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to, we want to be right. We want to be good in your eyes. We want to do the things that you've asked us to do. God, we, we want to be the best we can to, to be heroes. So Lord, open up our spirit to help us to see some things right now. Help us to see some things. Lord, I pray for all of us. I pray for me. Lord, I want to be a person of grace. Sometimes I'm not. Lord, sometimes I get caught so much up in my world and what I think is right and the direction I'm going that I don't, I don't extend grace to others. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Lord, I want to I be a thankful person. Lord Jesus, so right now I tell you thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Lord, thank you for all the things that you are and all the things that you've done, the things that you've put in my life. Lord, and I repent for taking those things for granted. I repent for being so self-focused, so absorbed, self-absorbed sometimes that I can't see what you're doing right now, right today. I can't see all the wonderful things that you've done. Lord, it's so easy, and I pray for all of us in here, it's so easy to focus on the things that are not going right. Lord, sometimes those can be overwhelming. But Jesus, you are still God. You still reign supreme over everything. So Lord, I pray for every one of us. Help us to be thankful. Help us to have a thankful heart, a grateful heart, a grateful attitude. Lord, I pray against any kind of negativities and rebellions and, and selfishness that, that pushes out the reality of your grace. Lord, help us to see you. And I specifically pray this Thanksgiving that we will, that we will be, that we will see how big you are and how amazing you are and that we will be thankful. And Lord, anoint us to, to help other people see you too through this. Anoint us at work these next few days before Thanksgiving. And when people are talking about this, that we can point them towards you, that you really are the creator of everything. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We thank you. And God, I pray, I pray that we won't just listen to what society says and take it as truth. Lord, we'll investigate it ourselves. That we'll get in and see who you really are. See what, see what, what being a hero really is. See what the true meaning of thanksgiving is. Lord, and not let the media try to tell us something else. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to leave you with this, and, and I, this will be easier this week, but this really is transcends beyond this week. It'll be easier this week. When you're going through whatever you're going through this week, when you feel anger, frustration, tension, attitude rise up within you, recognize that at that moment and pray against that and say, God, I want a thankful heart. I want a graceful heart. I want a peaceful heart. Show me these things. And, and you can actually begin to change your thinking on some things with this. So before noon on Thanksgiving Day, the Lord's going to give you a chance to tell somebody about Jesus. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So we will not have church Wednesday night. We will see you next weekend or tonight. Let me know. Have a great Thanksgiving.
from my